Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. The Divided Sea Natural or Supernatural The splitting of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, Yam Suf, is engraved in Jewish memory. We recite it daily during the morning service. And we speak of it again after the Shema, just before the Amida. It was the supreme miracle of the Exodus. But in what sense? If we listen carefully to the narratives, we can distinguish two perspectives. Here's the first. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That same note is struck in Shiratayam, the song at the sea. With the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The emphasis here is on the supernatural dimension of what happened. Water, which normally flows, stood upright. The sea parted to expose dry land. The laws of nature were suspended. Something happened for which there can be no scientific explanation. However, if we listen carefully, we can also hear a different note. Here's what Exodus 14 says. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Here there isn't a sudden change in the behavior of the water with no apparent cause. God brings a wind that in the course of several hours drives the waters back. Or consider this passage. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. The Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. The emphasis here is less on miracle than on irony. The great military assets of the Egyptians, the, the, making them the superpower of their day, were their horses and their chariots. These were Egypt's speciality. Viewed from this perspective, the events that took place could be described as follows. The Israelites had arrived at the Reed Sea at a point at which it was shallow. Possibly there was a ridge in the seabed, normally covered by water, but occasionally, when, for example, a fierce east wind blows, exposed. This is how the Cambridge University physicist Colin Humphreys puts it in his book, The Miracles of Exodus. Wind tides are well known to oceanographers. For example, a strong wind blowing along Lake Erie, one of the Great Lakes, has produced water elevation differences of as much as 16 feet between Toledo, Ohio on the west and Buffalo, New York on the east. There are reports that Napoleon was almost killed by a sudden high tide while he was crossing shallow water near the head of the Gulf of Suez. In the case of the wind that exposed the ridge 
in the bed of the sea, the consequences were dramatic. Suddenly the Israelites, traveling on foot, had an immense advantage over the Egyptian chariots that were pursuing them. Their wheels became stuck in the mud. The charioteers made ferocious efforts to free them, only to find that they quickly became mired again. The Egyptian army could neither advance nor retreat. So intent were they on the trapped wheels, and so reluctant were they to abandon their prized war machines, the chariots, that they failed to notice that the wind had dropped and the water was returning. By the time they realized what was happening, they were trapped. The ridge was now covered with seawater in either direction, and the island of dry land in the middle was shrinking by the minute. The mightiest army of the ancient world was defeated, and its warriors drowned, not by a superior army, not by human opposition at all, but by their own folly in being so focused on capturing the Israelites that they ignored the fact that they were driving into mud where their chariots couldn't go. So we have here two ways of seeing the same events, one natural, the other supernatural. The supernatural explanation that the water stood upright is immensely powerful, and so it entered Jewish memory. But the natural explanation is no less compelling. The Egyptian strength proved to be their weakness. The weakness of the Israelites became their strength. On this reading, what was significant was less the supernatural than the moral dimension of what happened. God visits the sins on the sinners. He mocks those who mock him. He showed the Egyptian army, which reveled in its might, that the weak were stronger than they were, just as he later did with the pagan prophet Bilam, who prided himself in his prophetic powers and was then shown that his donkey was a better prophet than he was because his donkey could see the angel and he couldn't. To put it another way, a miracle is not necessarily something that suspends natural law. It's rather an event for which there may be a natural explanation, but which, happening when, where, and how it did, evokes wonder, such that the, even the most hardened skeptic senses that somehow God has intervened in history. The weak are saved, those in danger delivered. More significant still is the moral message such an event conveys, that hubris is punished by nemesis, the proud are humbled, and the humble given pride, that there is justice in history, often hidden, but sometimes gloriously revealed. The idea can be taken further. Emil Fackenheim spoke of epoch-making events that transform the course of history. More obscurely, but along similar lines, the French philosopher Alain Badiou has proposed the concept of an event as a rupture in ontology through which individuals are brought face to face with a truth that changes them and their world. It's as if all normal perception fades away and we know that we are in the presence of something momentous to which we sense we have to remain faithful for the rest of our lives. The appropriation of presence is mediated by an event. It's through transformative events that we feel ourselves addressed, summoned by something beyond history, breaking through into history. In this sense, the division of the Red Sea was something other and deeper 
than just a suspension of the laws of nature, it was the transformative moment at which the people, Vayaminu Bashemu Moshe believed in the Lord and in Moses his servant, and called themselves Amzu Kanita, the people you, God, have acquired. Not all Jewish thinkers focused on the supernatural dimension of God's involvement in history. Maimonides, for instance, insisted in his uh, Mishneh Torah, Israel didn't believe in Moses, our teacher, because of the signs and miracles he performed. What made Moses the greatest of the prophets for Maimonides wasn't that he performed supernatural deeds, but that at Mount Sinai he brought the people the word of God. In general, the sages tended to downplay the dimension of the miraculous, even in the case of the greatest miracle of all, the division of the sea. That is the meaning of the following Midrash, which is commenting on the verse, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its full flow. My Rabbi Yonason, Rabbi Jonathan said, the Holy One, blessed be he, made a condition with the sea at the beginning of creation that it should split asunder for the Israelites. And that is the meaning of the sea went back to its full flow, reading it not as le'etano, but as letanao, the condition that God had earlier stipulated. What this Midrash is telling us is that the division of the Red Sea was, it was, it were, programmed into creation from the outset. It was less a suspension of nature than an event written into nature from the beginning to be triggered at the appropriate moment in history. We even find an extraordinary debate among the sages as to whether miracles are a sign of merit or the opposite. The Talmud tells the story of a man whose wife died, leaving a nursing child. The father was too poor to be able to afford a wet nurse. So a miracle occurred and he himself gave milk until the child was weaned. On this, the Talmud records the following difference of opinion. Rav Yosef said, come and see how great this man was, that such a miracle was wrought for him. Abiah said to him, on the contrary, see how inferior this man was, that he actually needed the natural order to be changed for him. According to Abiah, greater are those to whom good things happen without the need for miracles. The genius of the biblical narrative of the crossing of the Red Sea is that it doesn't resolve the issue one way or another. It gives us both perspectives. To some, the miracle was the suspension of the laws of nature. To others, the fact that there was a naturalistic explanation didn't make the event any less miraculous, that the Israelites should arrive at the sea precisely where the waters were unexpectedly shallow, that a strong east wind should blow when and how it did, and that the Egyptians' greatest military asset should have proved their undoing. All these things were wonders, and we've never forgotten them. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org slash cc family edition.